welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is jason erusi from erusi holdings welcome jason thanks for having me Cool. A little bit about Jason. Jason is an active real estate syndicator and real estate investor. Jason and his wife Billy founded Erosi Holdings, a multifamily investment firm over 800 units under management in 2016. The firm repositions properties through operational efficiencies, moderate to extensive renovations and complete rebranding. Jason also holds the multifamily live podcast behind real estate. Jason spends his time with his wife Billy and three younger kids and now lives in Tennessee. With that, Jason, would you like to add anything to your background? Oh, that's great. No, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. That's perfect. Cool, cool. So how are you using that 100-mile mindset for multifamily investing, Jason? Well, that's a great question. You know, the multifamily game is particularly seen as something that a lot of times people are trying to get into it. And so they, they assume that, okay, I get into it. I just got to find that deal. Right. And, and then that's the goal. However, when you're looking at your projects and you're looking at what you're doing, you know, you, this is a long-term play. It's a long-term focus. It's a long-term horizon. We're looking for opportunities that we can grow with, that we can go in there and make them better communities to, to live in for our residents, which ultimately will make them perform better, which will produce, of course, better revenue streams, more income, which will in turn help our investors. So when we look at a project to think that the second we get the project, that that the, the goal has been achieved is almost contrary to, to, to what really is happening because there is the long-term approach to this because we're going to really grow to achieve generational wealth that we can pass on to our kids, that they can pass on to others. And we can also do that to help our investors in that same light, to help them reach their goals. And we use the 100-mile mindset, noting that each stage is just one step along the trail, one step along the travel. So for us, our daily practices for getting prepared, our directions for finding properties, for building our brand, for growing our brand awareness, for identifying and underwriting opportunities to presenting offers, to closing on a property, then really is when the project really starts. That's the repositioning plan. That's where a lot of your time, a lot of your effort, a lot of your energy is going to come in because you may be having a project now that you will be working to improve, to make better. That could be three, five, seven, 10 years. So when the focus lots of times is just on closing the deal, the energy is really on making this the best project possible. And that's a slow journey to a long-term goal. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And would you share about your routines and why do you wake up at 4.32 a.m.? Uh, so I found that everything we talked a little bit offline, you know, so Pili and I met in uh, New York City and we used to do our best work at night just because of how, their, how our life was situated, right? So, uh, you know, you would stay up late, you'd be able to get quiet time for yourself and have your most hours. Well, now having three young kids, six, four, and two, that get up early, that, that once they're up, you know, that, that's where our energy needs to be is that I progressively had to start getting up earlier and earlier so I could have the time to myself, so I could have my moments to get my head clear, to get focused on where I wanted to go. 
and what I want to do. So many times our first obstacle in the day is just getting past ourselves, getting past us trying to just really put ourselves in a hole, right? So we're, we're losing out of the gate. So hitting that snooze button, hitting those things that, you know, we get up and are late to work and we have to run out the door or we're just not prepared. And so our day is always chaotic. Well, finding that 4.32 a.m. was a time that if I hit that, I now go 4, 3, 2, 1, go and get out of bed. And that gets me started, gets me up because if you were to start the first moment in the day, hit that snooze button, that's the first thing that happens. Well, you're already giving yourself a loss. So you're telling yourself it's okay. So how many more times does that build into? Does that build into your day? Does that build into your life that you start allowing yourself not to do something because you've set that mindset? So 4.32 a.m. has become 4, 3, 2, 1, go, get out of bed, and I get on my morning routine. Cool, cool. And awesome. And so, and what are your focus markets and why a narrow focus produces the most opportunities? Well, uh, my focus for opportunities, is that the question? Yes. So we've really put the emphasis, not so many on, on, you know, unit count or, you know, a set amount of volume that we have to do. We, we focus on one opportunity per quarter. And we find that if we do our energy to, to get out there, to make as many connections as we can, have as many follow-ups, to build our brand in that capacity, to get that many leads in the door, to be able to analyze that many opportunities, to produce potentially that many uh, letters of intent, that will get us to the analysis or the level that we can close on one deal per quarter. And that's been a track, it would tractable be a word, but that's been something we can track, we can build back into. So instead of focusing on volume, we focus on one deal per quarter. Now, last year that worked where we closed on one deal in, Q- in quarter one and three in quarter four. So it doesn't have to be that it is. We, f- we know that if we put these steps in there, the emphasis will be on us doing the work and not so much on, oh, I have to find a thousand units because that's not tractable. That's not something that you can really set your mind to. It's you looking at a number without building it back. It's like the New Year's, resolution thing where you you have a goal in mind, but the goal doesn't have something that you can build into traction to. And that's why a lot of times they fail. Cool. Yeah. And so on what markets you're focusing, Jason? So we did move down to Tennessee. Uh, we're very bullish on Nashville MSA and also Louisville MSA. So those are two core markets. We have four uh, investments right now currently in Louisville. We have one down here in Nashville MSA. We'll close on another one in about two months uh, also here in uh, Nashville MSA. Awesome. Awesome. Both are great markets. Yep. And what is your company's process of raising capital and even without asking for it? So that's a great question. We found that we want to be opportunity providers. I don't want to ever be in a point where, where I need someone's money. I want to be able to go in there and talk to our investors and give them the opportunity to understand what we're doing so they can make the best analysis, whether or not our projects, our opportunities are right for their investment strategy or their investment portfolio. Even prior to our first deal, we were always out there speaking to investors, talking to investors, letting them know what we we're doing. And this was very important because this was the new space for us. So we were giving them time to understand who we were, what we were doing, why we were doing it, and the types of projects we were going after. Because multifamily, it's a brand new space. It's one of these things where when investors come into this, they may have never invested in this before. So if you get this great opportunity, you find this great deal, you get under contract, and then you're going to go trying to explain to investors who you are, why you're doing this, what multifamily is about, how the deals work, how they're structured, and how the returns work. It's just so much information for an investor to take in and to make a, a rational decision or have the time to. And that leads to a lot of investors, even though it, it could be a good opportunity for them to say no, because it's just, it just too much pressure for them to really be able to focus on what you're doing 
and make a rational decision. So we found by getting in front of them way before we have opportunities to allow them to understand what it is that we do, how we do it, and what we're going to be looking for, then we would prepare basically a mock deal, the deal we were really targeted to find. And what this allowed us to do is to comfortably understand how much capital we could softly raise. And that would also give us more comfort when we did find that project, because now we already had that in our back pocket is that we know we have X amount of commitments. We could you know, potentially raise a million dollars when we have this project. And on the other side, it also allowed investors to understand what we were doing without the pressure of having to make a decision right now. And when we did find that opportunity, we were able to go back to the investors and say, hey, here is that opportunity. So instead of us hitting them cold at that moment, first time we've ever brought this in front of them, and then they have to make all these decisions, not only were they well-informed when we brought it back to them, but we were also able to commit that capital to us very quickly, you know, in less than a week, we would have the deal raised and still do today because we've already had these conversations continually going forward. Okay, cool. And so your offerings are finance 6B or C? Uh, we've done both. So it's a mix of both. We, we started with B, we've moved some into the C arena here. And it just really depends on the size of project because we've continued to grow our stable investors. And that's allowed us to have a lot of um, opportunity to just go to our stable group of investors who continue to invest in each opportunity and give them the opportunity if they have the bandwidth to invest in it currently. Cool, cool. Uh, and would you share a few best practices you're implementing as part of asset management? So asset management is a, a very important model. I think we'll get back to the first step of just understanding that when you close the investment, that's just the start of the project, right? And so many times the celebration is at the close. However, that's when the work begins, right? You may spend six months to get your deal, but then now you're going to spend seven years as part of the opportunity. The, the goal with asset management is to have a plan, understand what are the parameters of that plan, have a team around you that can help you implement that plan, and then be open to pivot as time needs and time um, calls for because uh, no plan is ever perfect, right? So having the right property management teams, having the right insurance partners, having the right contractors, having all those partners that are part of your process, happen, have all your, um, your contract uh, vendors and all your vendors, having everybody lined up that are part of your process, but be open to adapt as the market adapts going forward. Cool, cool. And thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, would you share any of challenges you experienced in your real estate multifamily journey so far and how did you overcome them? Yeah, sure. So of course, it's a, it's a live space, right? You have a building that has you know, 20 people, 50 people, 100 people, 300 people all living there. Of course, there's going to be things that that come up that will not be ideal. Of course, there's going to be things that you will need to adapt across. And what it is that's very important to note is that you have to make sure that you have the good partners on board, right? Uh, one of our first buildings we brought, um, a neighboring building that was not one we owned had a shootout. Now, this area was not a dangerous area. It was not one warranted this, but it had happened that this building was owned by the city. And for whatever reason, there was people who were living there that were not actually residents of the building. And it was scaring our tenants, right? It was making them fearful. And it was also putting us in a position where we wanted to make sure we were having, you know, providing better places to live by providing safe places to live. So for a moment, it was this point where you felt that you didn't have a control of the situation, but you always can find what you can control. And it turned out that one of the buildings we did own just had a vacant unit. This vacant unit backed up to that building. So as we were turning it, I had the idea 
idea to call the Louisville um, Housing Authority, which got me in, in turn connected with, with uh, their head detective who basically manages all the crime throughout their properties. And that detective came in, did a stakeout in this unit and ended up over the course of three weeks, was able to arrest, I think, something of uh, 10 people there. Well, what that did, that gave clarity to our tenants that we were going to take steps to make this a better place to live. It also put us in a position, right, where we didn't have an incident, right, that could have been just horrific on our property and allowed us to continue to move forward with our business plan and not be sidelined by something that at first seemed out of our control. Cool. Which market is that? Uh, that was in Louisville. Okay. And so what kind of business plans you're implementing for your deals? business plan. So our plan and our core plan is we're not looking at 100% vacant buildings. We're not looking at uh, really high distressed, uh, anything with foundation problems or, you know, uh, burn down buildings. We're looking for buildings that are underperforming, whether it be on the asset side or the management side, and in most instances, both. So our goal is 80s to early 2000s building builds where you can go in there and put in a lot of management efficiencies. Many times, whether it's being managed by the owner or managed by a management company, the practices are not in place because there hasn't been a detailed plan layout. So maybe their um, uh, application process is not fine-tuned. Maybe they're missing out on, on a lot of extra income fees. Maybe they're hot, their expenses are running out of, uh, out of whack because there's nobody watching. And then conversely to that, we're looking at ways that we can improve the building. Can we go in there and do water, water uh, efficiency can we find other ways to cut down the utilities, which is typically your biggest expense? Can we do something with capital expenditures where if we spend a dollar up front, it's going to save us $10 over the course of the project? Is there interior upgrades or exterior upgrades or rebranding that can be implemented on the building that can add value, drive more marketing to the building, and of course, bring us closer to market rents? Cool. And thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And would you share any of your best multifamily investing experience so far? Sure. So uh, we'll go back to the one that we uh, had the shooting at. Well, that that was the first one we had ever done. And turns out that was a seven-year hold. And within um, 13 months, we were able to refinance and pull out uh, pretty much the majority of capital and give it back to investors. Our investors stay in our deals, even with return of capital. Well, getting into year two, early year two, the market had made such a transition from when we first brought this, that there was such a path of progress come in. There was buildings that um, had been previously owned by owners for, for a couple decades that had sold to people. So there was a lot of capital coming in here. And where our market currently had just really represented only classical upgrades to meet the market demand, uh, the new groups are coming in there and doing premium upgrades, doing things that are outside the box and driving them. And I, I saw this opportunity to go out there and um, source really buyers. And we had seven offers offers come in at a um, at an offer that was actually well exceeding our performance uh, current offer for the seven-year hold. So we were able to sell that property in two and a half years. We had a tremendous return, uh, uh, almost doubling our expectations for investors in the course of a course of two and a half years. So it turned out to be a, a fantastic project. Awesome. Awesome. So that's great. And so what is your current focus and share something you're excited about now, Jason? Oh, well, so our current focus is a, our, our previous focus, right? Is we're continually looking at multifamily. It's a, it's, it is a long play. So our game is that we're continuing to look at projects, making sure that the market fits, making sure our teammates are still the right teammates for our process as we continue to look at what we're doing with our opportunities, what we're doing, of course, as we go forward to source new deals. So we're continuing to look at multifamily, continuing to age into new product uh, or newer products. So that 19... 
before we were doing 1970s up to early 2000s. Now we've really pushed that into 1980s to early 2000s, just so uh, when we do get a project that a lot of our capital budget will not be expended on things that you won't see, right? So underground plumbing or roofs or things that were that you have to do as part of your plan, but typically you do not get um, more of a return when someone comes to buy it from you. You only get a detraction from your price if you do not do that item. So we're really focusing on projects that have better infrastructure because they're a newer build. Cool, yeah. So any one advice that impacted you, Jason? You know, advice is that you will never get every piece of the puzzle figured out. You have to go and take action, whether it's on your own or, or as part of a team to understand better questions so you can get better answers. Many a times we want to do so much research so we can understand the full process, but you find you spend so much energy learning the process. And the second you start, there's so many questions still left unanswered is that if your energy starts going, you start putting the energy out there, you start taking action, you'll get the questions that are needed for you to get the result, but you'll also get better at understanding what questions need to be asked and not wasting your time learning on things that either aren't important for the project or worrying about, you know, the, having the answer when you don't know what the question will be. So taking action, getting out there and getting better at your questioning by taking that first step is almost always more important than spending months trying to figure out every step of the puzzle. Cool. Cool. And say any one book that impacted your life and what way? Oh, it's always, always the last one. So, I mean, man, there's always a, a one that comes to mind is, uh, is Ryan holiday. Uh, still, this is the, is the key, right? It, many times we're worried about the past, worried about the future, but it's really being present with our moments and understanding how we can control the situation of now. That's ultimately most important, right? What yesterday happens tomorrow has not, but right now is. And when our energy and focus is spent so much time worrying about the past or trying to predict the future, we miss out on what's actually right in front of us right now. And whether it be, you know, focusing on how we can improve our business, spending our time with our family, using our energy to just be with it, with where we are in the moment. Years go by and we miss all that's happening in front of us because we're worried about what could potentially happen 10 years from now. Yeah, so true, so true. How are you giving back to community, Jason? In a couple of ways. So we're constantly trying to work with people to just answer questions, be in front of them so we can help them along their path. There's a group called Imagine uh, that's dear to my heart that uh, is part of a, a, a group that helps people who have had a significant loss in their family uh, and is helping them just understand how to cope with that loss so that I try and give back through uh, time and donation through that group as well. Cool, cool. And how can listeners can connect with you? Yeah, sure. So thank you again for having me on the show. Um, we have a, a three-day event coming up, June 10th, 11th, and 12th, called the Multifamily Live Event. It's going to be a live virtual event. So we'd love to see you there. Uh, it's again, uh, multifamilyliveevent.com. And you can find Peely and I at yourusiholdings.com if you'd like to talk to us about what we're doing or potential investments in the future. Is that online event or in person? Uh, online, yeah. So we have an online virtual event. Okay, okay. Cool. Uh, thank you, Jason. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Rama. It was great to be here. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.